giving someone or someone has died or you've got a child in addiction, you know, and in years and years of things, you you forget to practice beauty. You forget what are those things that used to make you smile? What are the things that used to bring you joy? And if you can write, I always have the write on the refrigerator and put practice beauty. Do one thing every day that makes you happy. If it's a flower, if it's a plant, if it's seeing a sunrise or a sunset or going to an art show or whatever it is, just one thing that makes you happy. Sitting on the porch, putting your foot up, reading a book, whatever it is. So instead of digging neural networks deeper and deeper in grief and sorrow and despair and hopelessness, now you're creating beauty and you're bringing beauty back into your life and you're creating new neural networks. And that's what we need to do, you know, because we get really stuck. We keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and pretty soon that hole is so deep we can't hardly climb out of it. So practice beauty. You got to accentuate the positive. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Always wonderful to be with you all again. And please remember if you're liking the shows or even if you're hating the shows, share them with your friends and press that like button, subscribe button, all that good stuff and uh, send us a comment or an email and tell us your story or tell us what you thought about the shows. Well, today we're delving back into the multidimensional universe and talking about the afterlife and an extraordinary transformational story with Karen V. Johnson. Welcome to the show, Karen. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I was just, Karen and I have been chatting already and I was just saying, I love your story because it's such a transformational story. I've had so many people both in my books and on the show with a similar sort of story going from one paradigm to a completely other paradigm. And, you know, from one paradigm to the other, it feels like impossible that you would ever get there. And yet when life presents you with an opportunity to change, you either change or die, right? You either change or suffer. So let me let me tell people a little bit about your what's been happening with you, Karen. Karen's life was turned upside down when her 27-year-old son died suddenly in 2014. This experience changed her in many ways, opening her to an expansive spiritual journey, a profound awakening and connection to the many levels of our multidimensional life and the dimensions of spirit. Karen is a graduate of Georgetown Law Center, JD, a former Fulbright Scholar in the Af- in Afghanistan and holds a degree in public health and public and international affairs. She's a retired federal administrative law judge who practiced criminal, and it says here energy law for more than 30 years. What's energy law? Yeah, so oil, gas, all those kind oh, of good things. I yeah. see energy. All right. Okay. So <laughs> when I think of energy, I'm thinking, you know, like. Do, right, 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 uh, right. Okay, I got it. She's right. also a former U.S. Army officer and major. Now a master shaman, Karen was personally trained by Alberto Villol. How do you say his name? Yodo. So where, yeah. where, is he, where is he from? Is he Italian? 
Brazilian? Cuba. 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 Oh, I haven't heard of him. And is a senior teacher with the Four Winds Society who has trained extensively in the techniques of illumination, soul retrieval, extractions of energies and entities, divination and death rites. She continues her expertise as an energy practitioner, living, grieving, using energy medicine to alchemize grief and loss is your first book. Yes. Uh, published t- published last year and your website is your name karenjohnson.net yes so uh, it says on your website suddenly as if from nowhere ben was standing in front of me smiling his big happy smile so this was the experience that really rocked your world tell the audience what happened to you yeah my son was 27 and he'd been struggling like a lot of young men what am I going to do with my life and you know tried different things and had some businesses fail and so I was going on a vacation to South Korea and thought well when I come back we're going to have a big talk you know about life and what's going on and so when I was in South Korea I, I got this I just wasn't feeling well that afternoon and then um, I got a call and somebody hung up and I just had this bad feeling about the that call and and so I called back and the person said they were a detective and I said well I'm Ben Johnson's mom and he said where are you and I said I'm in South Korea what's going on he said well he's he's died and I said how what you know shocked um and it was a heroin overdose so he had gone out with a few of his buddies and gotten drunk and they decided for whatever reason they're going to try heroin and he died almost instantly and it took me a long time to get home because south korean night is day day is night so i couldn't get a flight for 12 hours and then it was a 12-hour flight and so it was 24 hours before i could really get home <clears throat> and while i was waiting in the airport in south korea he appeared right in front of me just like he was himself just fully embodied and smiled at me and then kind of faded off. And I was hysterical and called my ex-husband and said, you've got to call the ME. I think he's alive. I think he's alive. I think he's there. And, and he's, he's wants to get out. He's wants to get out of the, you know, so anyway, they very kindly checked and said, I'm sorry, but he's passed. Right. And so for me, death was a doorway. Um, I didn't really have much of a spiritual life before then. I've kind of bought in, to the paradigm of success at any price. And I was pretty much on the hamster wheel, you know, running, 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 grabbing all the brass rings I could. And, and you know, people would say I had a very successful life. <clears throat> and then I, it all changed, you know, as soon as I saw Ben, it was a doorway for me saying, I would have said before I saw him, alive is alive and dead is dead. And after seeing him and feeling him around me, I realized, wait a minute, there's a whole life after death. And it awakened me to a spiritual life and a spiritual uh, awareness that I, I wouldn't have gotten any other way. I just wouldn't have gotten it. It had to be something that big, that horrifying, that traumatic for me to really get it. And, um, and then it was, um, I went on this journey um, to really talk to him more. Right. And so I actually went to a medium a couple of weeks later and said, I can see him. He's standing right there, but I can't hear what he's saying. Can you tell me what he's saying? Right. So I wasn't clear audience at that point. 
And um, so she, you know, gave me this great session. Uh, we taught, you know, that really sounded like Ben. And then at the end, she said, you know, you might have some skills yourself. Not many people can see their departed loved one and know they're standing right there. So um, then it became this journey um, with all sorts of spiritual practices, crystals and Kabbalah and spirits and oh, all kinds of things. I really just wanted to expand my awareness to contact Ben more, mediumship. Until I finally ended up with an um, evolutionary astrologer who told me, uh, your soul has chosen a different path away from shame, blame, guilt, and Uranus, Uranus, and um, to Neptune, the mystical path. And I'm like, a mystical path? What is that? I didn't even have a clue what that would might be. You know, and he said, well, another woman had a reading like yours became a shaman. And again, I was like, a shaman? Are there shamans? I didn't even know there were still shamans in this world, right? I just had, they were, it was completely outside of my left brain world. I didn't even know there were mediums until I looked uh, in Fairfax County, Virginia around me until I looked in the phone book. I had to look it up because I had never met one, right? And so, um, so here I am, he's telling me about a shaman. So of course I Googled it and the four winds popped up and three weeks later, I'm on a plane to California for my first class in shamanism thinking, well, if I don't fit in here, I'll just go down to Palm Springs and get a facial and a mani-pedi and I'll be good, <laughs> right? I'm not sure this is for me. I don't think I'm gonna really fit in here. And of course it was perfect. It was perfect for me. And then so here I am, you know, years later teaching shamanism and, and just loving it and fully involved in that practice um, and helping other people deal with their grief and loss in, in a way that's sort of like a journey for them. So, you know, this fast paced cultures that we live in, everything is a soundbite, get over it, do this, do that, time to move on. Uh, and so I take people on a little more gentle route, a journey through their grief so that they can come out on the other side and be reborn into a life that is honors their loved one and really celebrates um, the beauty of life. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I was uh, amazed that you've never heard of mediums. What it says to me is like we get so entrenched in the third dimensional paradigm and the world that that we don't even know that this other that life exists. It's, you know, because, because I thought, because it's not so long ago, 2014, it's not long ago. When did I come back from overseas? I think it was around 2005. I'd been traveling overseas and I remember getting back to Australia and turning on Australian television. And it seemed to be every second show was had some sort of mediumship, you know, like um, detectives finding, contacting the spirits of the dead and, and, you know, reaching out to mediums to find the bodies. And, and then there was that show Medium. And then there was another show where she's speaking to spirits. And there were just all these shows. And I thought, wow, the world is changing, you know, like this information is getting out there. So it kind of seems amazing to me that in 2014, you hadn't heard of <laughs> I've heard of them, but they were nothing I experienced. They weren't in my world. Those, if yeah. those shows existed, I probably just in my mind said, "Oh, that's a lot of hogwash." Crap. Right? You yeah, know? yeah. I just watched. You know, it didn't. It didn't sink in. Right? Yeah. So yeah. The, the thing with you know, we talk about in the law, eyewitness identification being so unreliable. You know, we really see what we want to see, and we don't. Right. We discard the rest. The rest of it 
you could be taught, there could have been a medium sitting right beside of me telling me all about things. And I would have just been, huh, really? And I, whoop. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what you've just said, what you've, Karen, what you've just said is so key. We see what we want to see and we hear what we want to hear. We hear mm-hmm. and we see what fits in with our current worldview. Yes. And, oh. and then the rest doesn't exist right it's just noise it's just noise it's noise and then we argue for our point of view like it's the only Mm -hmm. point of view and it's only you know so belief creates our reality yeah it's so fascinating because I remember you know I had Elisa Medhus on the show channeling Eric do you know the channeling Eric phenomena her son like you I've spoken to so many mothers who lost sons in their 20s it's amazing it's amazing. I don't think I've actually ever spoken to somebody where it's a daughter. It's always a son, which I find quite extraordinary. Well, anyway, her son shot himself when he was 20 and she was a doctor and um, brought up by, she calls them militant atheists. So she had heard of mediumship because her father was so bent on discrediting anything to do with it, you know, yeah. and um, she had to study quantum physics in order to like bend her mind enough to reach out to a medium to understand that energy, you can't kill energy. Energy just changes form. So if her son is energy, then he's just changed form. So maybe there's some hope, yeah. But I love that transformation of the mind going from one paradigm. I think it's amazing. And I did the same thing, quantum physics. I, you know, Greg Braden's work. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I just, I love Greg Braden because he put science in a context that lay people can understand. And so I, I had to get the science because I didn't really even believe it with my shaman work. I didn't believe it until I could have the science with it. Then I say, okay, all right, now I see. Now I'm, I can accept this. I was just so far out of my paradigm that I couldn't accept it without some more proof, you know, (laughs) now I don't need any proof, but then I had to have proof. Right. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, like everyone's looking for proof, but uh, I think that the best proof is the experience itself. So like even Elisa's father, who was the militant atheist saw, had an experience exactly like, well, not exactly, but similar to yours where his dead grandson appeared before him as if he was physical. So when you saw him in the airport, yeah, was it like you were looking at a physical human being? It wasn't like yes. a ghostly figure. It looked solid, like oh solid. My God, you're standing solid. in front of me. Mm-hmm. And he's smiling, and and then he just sort of faded away, right? right. And so I thought, oh, oh, but, you know, my mind was like, oh, he must be trying to contact me and tell me he's alive, mm-hmm. and trying to get out of the freezer, right, where they they put you, you know, the yeah. ME. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I couldn't make the only sense I could make out of it that time. I couldn't even never occurred to me that he's coming to me from the other side until it happened frequently enough and enough times that I finally got it. I, it took me a while to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Elisa said that her father had that experience where he appeared physically before him um, as a little boy and then grew up and then came and sat on his lap. So he had this amazing experience. And as an atheist, he couldn't, didn't fit into his paradigm, so he debunked it still. He had the experience, but he still didn't, it, he yeah. didn't change his point of view. And I thought that was amazing. That was amazing that yeah, you could have those really sorts of on to that, tightly to that paradigm. So how many times did he appear to you uh, before you started sort of having that relationship with him in a new way? I think it took a while because I really wasn't clear audience. It took me a while to develop my senses because most of us that are very left brain, we've kind of left our right brain to kind of 
atrophy a little bit. So I had to really work on creative things and uh, spiritual things and mediumship and, you know, really had to open up to possibilities that I had closed off. So if you're closed off to possibilities, then you, you don't, there's so much that you miss. And so it, it took me a while, you know, it took me a good, I think, year, year and a half of a glide path of opening up and awakening until I could really um, fully experience him, hear him, see him, and just accept that he, he comes and goes. Right. And if I, you know, we kind of work together uh, now. So I, we help souls to transition people that get stuck in between realms. And we do that kind of work. And he's really helpful with young people that have committed suicides or overdoses and things like that to say, a lot of, you know, a lot of spirits get stuck because they've been told by the church and others that, that whatever they did was a sin, right? Then they were going to go to hell. And so they're so afraid of going hell to hell that they're hanging on like, oh, I'm not going anywhere, right? So they're kind of stuck in between. <clears throat> so he can kind of talk to them and say, hey, man, there's nothing but really cool stuff on the other side. Follow me and, you know, shows, shows them the way. So we kind of do that kind of work together. But it, it took a while to get to that spot. It took a while for me to grow. He was much further ahead because once you transition to the other side, you know, you, you, you see things very differently. Do you feel like this work that you're doing together was the uh, agreement that you had before that you came in to this lifetime? That you oh, would, it could you, be, you know, I, someone said once to, you know, that he, we had made this agreement ahead of time that he would die early so that I would get a spiritual awakening. And that was okay for a while. And then I said, what a bad spirit I was to agree that I would do that with my, my son. And then I said to myself, what about my daughter? What terrible cosmic agreement did I make with my daughter, right? So it didn't really bring me a lot of happiness to think that, although now I see it a little differently. Now I say, okay, so maybe this is all sort of this big picture this big karmic picture and and we're here and there and we're everywhere all at once and all these things that are happening have been pre-planned and yet haven't happened yet and yet here we are experiencing it so you know the past and the present and the future are all mixed in together and so I just see reality in a very different way now what happened with your daughter nothing everything was perfect everything's perfectly fine she's oh, um because when you said well what about my daughter I'm thinking well I was thinking what agreement did I make you know if I made an agreement with my son that he was going to mm -hmm. die early well, what did I make an agreement like that with my daughter was she going to die early too I mean what what did I agree to was was my point there yeah I was worried yeah. I, I actually see it not so much about the agreement of the death experience but the agreement of the working together experience because you're saying that the two of you are helping especially troubled souls who don't yeah. have an understanding of the afterlife remember and cross over like that work that you're doing is really important important because yeah. I often think you know with so many spirit guides why do they need us fleshy humans to help them you know like did did you discuss that with Ben like 
why right. is it a why is why is it a team? The two of you as a team working with these. Well, we kind of translate, you know, because there are psychopomps and there's, you know, ancestors and spirits and angels and all kind of beings that help people transition. But we can be that sort of translation between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. So we can. Ben can talk to him having been in the physical realm and say, hey, this is how it works over here, right? That's sort of his job. That's sort of his job that he's taken on or was given um, on the other side. And so he, he can be that translating person. And I can be that person that brings the soul down and, and, and talks to the mother or talks to the parent. You know, I kind of am that shaman arbiter in this physical realm that brings the awareness of that soul's need to Ben or to, to help trans transfer over. Let me ask you, how does it work if a soul is, is a troubled person, like they've killed themselves or they've had, you know, drug overdose, or maybe they've just died suddenly in an accident and they don't have any understanding or belief in an afterlife. How do they have communication that somebody that's still embodied, how do they, connect with you or how do you connect with them is their frequency aligned enough for you know I can understand that another spirit could come to them and and they could see each other as if you know like you saw Ben as if it's their reality a part of their reality but if they're no longer in a physical reality how do they connect to this physical earth realm if they're yeah how does that work they seem, they seem to have an affinity for people who can see them once I was able to see spirits and they just flock to you it got to the point where I had to say one one day one night I woke up and there were spirits all around my bed and I said I just freaked out no spirits in my bedroom but Ben was there so I felt safe right not everybody out yeah everybody out and then I got up in the morning and they were in the hallway every Everybody out of my home, out of my house. No, no, no. I'm not having spirits in the house in the morning. That's just too much. I need my coffee first. No, coffee before spirits. You know, I don't know. But it, I, I think it was because my son was around, right? So I felt safe. And even though I'm saying to myself, well, you have really slipped uh, your lid right now because now you're you're talking to spirits that and they're listening to you, which is even weirder, right? But, you know, that's part of what I think we forget is that we're very powerful and our intentions are very powerful. And so um, I think they kind of find people that are open and, and if they're looking for help, they find, can find us. So, so sometimes I'm just called, I always tell the story about, um, I went to an Airbnb and in the middle of the night, I feel this tap, tap, tap on my back. And I look up and there's this little old lady spirit. And she said, why are you in my bed? And I said, I said, well, you passed away, you've passed over. And she said, no, I did not. And I can't, my, my, my grandchildren need me. And I said, oh, they're doing great. They're doing fantastic. And your, your daughter's doing fantastic. And would you like me to help you? I can help you transition to the other side. Cause I think you're a little stuck in between. Would you like to go to meet your relatives and ancestors and, and go to, to the light or to heaven, whatever you want to call it. Everybody calls it something different, you know? And um, so finally, after a while, she said, yeah. And so what, right then and there, I did a little transition of her spirit. And, you know, so you just never know where you're going to find a spirit walking around that needs your help. 
they're well apparently they're everywhere just like just like we spoke about how stubborn we can get in our worldview in our paradigms you know we get so fixed in our thinking uh that can happen even when we're dead well we take it with us I think we We can take it with us we can take it you know we can take that I'm needed here I can't go my you know and then you know so we're kind of tethered a little bit you know and so sometimes we just need a little help so somebody to untether us yeah absolutely so what do you say to them what do you do with these spirits uh because i've had them come to me and i've said to them you know this isn't my work in the world go, go speak to your spirit guide <laughs> i've sent them, <laughs> them off like it's kind of like that's not it's not how i see myself as helping spirits cross over it's not the work i do but there are people that do that so go go speak to that person so what do you do when you help them cross over? Do you say, can you see the light? Go to the light. Like, that's the classic. What kind people- of like that. You know, it's kind of like um, there's just a portal that I can open and the portal is to a higher realm. So it can be the realm of however you want to see it, heaven, the realm of the ancestors, whatever you want to call it. I see it as sort of there's this world and then there's an in-between place where spirits can be stuck. And then there's these other realms, whether you want to call it the universal consciousness that works for Buddhists, whether you want to call it heaven, nirvana, whatever you want to call it. Um, there is that place to go to and there's places to go to that souls can go to for healing so i don't i never have found a hell all i found is places where they kind of take a little stop over to heal a little bit and so i can open that portal into the upper realm so they're not stuck in between in that sticky heavy kind of dense place in between worlds yeah beautiful i want to get back to your your transformation from going from a you know, a judge in the law and the military. How did how did you do that? I mean, how did you untether yourself from that paradigm? And what did your friends and family think? Because they obviously knew Karen one way and right. rev- and revered you and man, look how amazing she is and she's successful and she's got all this power and this recognition right. and right. S- status. And now she's speaking to dead people. What? <laughs> like, how did that happen? Well- She's lost the plot. She, you know, she clearly this has gone, you know, to her head. So, you know, in the US and I don't know, maybe Australia too, there's a thing called a diagnostic and statistical manual. So it now there's a, a whole criteria for people that are in extreme grief, you know, things like seeing their dead loved ones, <laughs> all the things, you know, that, that I do. And, you know, maybe being extremely depressed. And I think there's certainly, you know, sometimes people get very stuck in their grief. Um, But, um, you know, are we ill? Are we mentally ill? Or is this really an awakening and opening that there are other realms, there's other realms of existence, and they can be found, they can be understood and seen. And there are people on the other side, there's spirits on the other side, and they can come to us for help. We can help them. Those of us that kind of do that, I kind of am, people have said I'm a psychopomp. So I kind of do that work in between realms. Um, some people say psychopomps have to be spirits that are always passed over. So I don't know. I don't know what I am. All I know is I'm able to leave this reality, go to that reality and open a portal and help spirits to go. 
but how did your friends and family who knew you one way cope with your transformation? I mean, did they just think they want to lock you up? Did they stop talking to you? Like, do you still relate to them? Do you do you open this sort of conversation at dinner parties and you know and you know family dinners and things like that or Thanksgiving? Like when you get together yeah. for Thanksgiving, do you well, just zip it and not talk about what you do or? Like, how does it work? I think I probably did in the beginning, kind of zipped it and just kind of snuck off, you know, and and I realized at some point I really couldn't be a shaman and pursue that shaman and, and be a federal judge. Can you imagine the Washington Post getting a hold of that? At some point it had to be, I had to choose, right? And when I choose and decided, you know, that I was going to retire, luckily I was able to retire. Um, you know, my friends went to my daughter and said, you know, your mother's grieving. She's going to really regret this. She has a lifetime appointment. You just don't walk away from things like this, blah, blah, blah. And my daughter, who is an, an engineer, so also very left brain, she said, I think my mother should shake her rattle and release her inner butterfly. <laughs> shut everybody up right they weren't going to get anywhere with the daughter the daughter you know thing was not going to work she was not going to help them out right and she was totally supportive anything I wanted to do I dropped I had um, two suitcases that I traveled with in a carry-on bag and that's what I traveled with for two and a half years around the world looking for answers to grief and grieving and what the heck is this about and death and dying and you know, worked with shamans all over the world and Sufi masters and priests of all kinds and talked to them about death and dying. And um, until I finally was downloaded this journey of the bereaved in ways that bereaved, the bereaved can look at places where we're stuck. Everybody's stuck somewhere else. Maybe it's a story that we're telling ourselves. I should have done this. I could have done that. I should have insisted this, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I could go back to his babysitter when he was two. Maybe that was the mistake. Maybe that's where things went wrong, right? You know, you just shame, blame, guilt. So we, we go through all these things. So we want to figure out where, where is that person stuck or who are they judging? Are they judging themselves? I even judged my Ben. I mean, I was really mad at him when I when I finally realized, you know, I this was no, I'm no, I know you're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, but I'm mad at you. I am really furious. This was not supposed to happen. You know, I hear you, you're there, I'm here, and I'm miserable and I'm angry. And it took a long time for me not to judge him, you know. And I think sometimes we don't come to terms with the fact that we're miffed at our loved ones for leaving. And so, you know, where, where are we stuck? Where are we stuck? Everybody's stuck in a different way. You know, Ram Dass talks about trees. And so if you go into the forest and you see one tree is a pine and one tree is an oak and one tree is bent and one tree got electrocuted and we don't judge them. We just say, oh, they're all trying to find a light. But as soon as we look at people, our judging mind comes in. And so where are we judging? Who are we? we judging? How are we making ourselves suffer with stories that we're ruminating over and over and over again? And then in a ceremonial way to release it. So we know that when we go into a temple or a church and they've got a candle to light, we just kind of like lemmings kind of go over, light the candle, put it down, even if it's not our religion, because there's some part of us that understands that we're in a sacred place and that fire and smoke is the way to take our prayers to spirit. And so I love to have people sit in a ceremonial way with a piece of paper and a pen and um, a candle 
and write down these stories that have been ruminating in your head about what you could have, should have, would have done, who you're mad at, who you're judging. Maybe it's your sister. Maybe it's your mother. All those people that left you, let you down that you don't want to dare say outside. But if you sit in sacred space in silence and write them down, knowing that you can be radically honest because you're going to burn it. Nobody's going to see this. Nobody's going to find your notebook. You're going to burn in the fire with intention of releasing your judgments, releasing these old stories, and opening your heart to seeing things in a different way. So the Dalai Lama said, you know, the only thing we can change is our perspective. And the only way we can do it is getting out of our everyday, literal, liminal, reptilian brain and taking it up to the brain of ceremony. And ceremony is, involves the neocortex. And at, the, at that level, we can move things like a feather blowing in the breeze instead of at the physical level where everything is hard, everything is difficult. We feel trapped, we feel isolated, we feel angry, we feel stuck. And many of us end up for years at living in our home, isolating ourselves because we don't know how to move along. We don't know how to find our way through this journey of grief and come out the other side yes yes getting back to what i asked you did did any of your friends or families or colleagues come with you on this journey like did your transformation help them transform or did they totally reject i mean sounds like your daughter did like what did she say something about the butterflies Yes, shake your rat. I think my mother should shake her rattle and release her inner butterfly. butterflies. Hilarious. <laughs> her left brain self. But they didn't come on the journey with me, but they're the first ones to say, Hey, um, could you check this for me? Oh, I'm not feeling so well. Could you check my chakras? And these are people who didn't know what a chakra was any more than I did. I mean, when I first I had no I, I never heard the word chakra. I'm like, I, I have no idea what people are talking. And people were seeing auras and they were seeing this and I didn't see anything. I'm like, you people are kind of crazy. But, you know, I was, something about it stuck, even though I thought it was really weird and I wasn't sure, but it, there was something about it that, that experience seeing Ben made me see things. Maybe there is something to this. Maybe there's a possibility here. Maybe there's something to learn. Maybe there's some way to change. Maybe there's some way to grow here. Yeah, because it's so beautiful to you know bring bring your friends and family with you i mean many will reject you but when you awaken then there's an opportunity for those around you to awaken as well even though they they might be stuck in a paradigm that says i'm right you're wrong and you're crazy <laughs> oh she's yeah. just she's just grieving she's doing this stuff because she's in grief but you right. know I, I i really see grief as an opportunity to deep dive into the realms of your conditioned subconscious mind, all those programs that have told you who you are and death is a way to shake that up and yeah. for you to release the limitation of who you think you are and open to the possibility of who you could be. I mean, grief is such a beautiful process to do that. You can either grieve and suffer or you can allow the pain to show you why you feel like that. Like, what am I believing about myself? And I think that the thing that upsets the apple cart here on planet Earth is the illusion of separation. And death gives us that illusion. I am now separate 
to the one I love. Like I can't see them again. I can't speak to them again. We're not connected in any way. And that illusion is such an illusion until it's not right. Like that's what happened to you. Like, yeah, even that experience of seeing Ben in his spirit form, you saw him like he was physical. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then I didn't need that anymore. And I don't see him in that way now. Now he doesn't appear in that way. And I'm not sure they can always do that. Maybe that's a once, you know, one and done sort of thing. I don't know. But um, but after that, I really see him. I just know his presence and I know his spiritual form. And um, and it's funny because it's a there's a husband of a friend of mine that I also work with. And I've never met him, but I met him in spirit world with Ben. And so there's spirits that I kind of work with too. And I recognize, and you know, it's, it's fascinating. It's just fascinating. I just love it. My, my daughter actually says, mommy, you're getting much too comfortable on that in that other realm. <laughs> let's not, let's just not slip over to the other side <laughs> you know, without saying goodbye. <laughs> yeah well yeah that's a fear-based belief as well because that other realm is who we are I mean this is the illusion we think that this is the reality and that other realm is some mystical place that we need to go to college to you know connect to but that other realm is 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 our true home and and as you said like this this expansive awareness and information and knowledge is available I was going to ask you does Ben as um you know, as Ben, as spirit, what has he taught you about life, love, and the universe from that perspective that he didn't have access to as Ben, your son? Gosh, at first he was pretty much attached to me while I was suffering so greatly. One thing I learned is as we suffer and stay stuck in our grief, we kind of hold them back from doing all the things that are available to them on the other side. So for Ben, um, he now works with ascended masters. Like one time I was, you know, kind of was his death day. And I was like, oh, Ben, I'm so sad. It's your death day, blah, blah. And he came and he's like, mom, you're kind of getting to be a bummer about this. You know, I'm right here. And he said, I'm in the Jesus pod. Okay. Jesus is really cool. Not who, the, not all that stuff that we read about. He's really cool. So you, you're fine. You're fine. You don't need me. You're fine. <laughs> As only a 27-year-old, right, can do. And, and so I think it's that, that they have lots of work to do on the other side. And as we stay stuck, we kind of hold on to their kite string. And they stay a little stuck, too. They can't do everything they want to do on the other side. So that beautiful part of just allowing them to be on the other side and explore without worrying, uh, you know, what? When I think about it, he's much happier on the other side than he ever was here. And what more could I want as a mother than for him to be happy? Right. And so there he is. He's happy and he's totally himself. You know, like, like I said, mom, mom, you're kind of a, being a bummer about this. You're <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Fine. <laughs> but, but has he has he shown you anything profound about life, love, and the universe? Like, has he taught you? You said that he was in the Jesus pod, and Jesus is cool. So, yep. what, is, what has he said to you about? I think that about really, that, that they really, there's not eternal slumber. They, they're busy. They're learning. They're growing. He's got this kind of assignment where he helps me help souls transition. That's sort of his little specialty that he likes to do. Um, he likes to work with ascended masters. He he's seems to be having a really enlightened experience there. I mean, it's almost like he's 
you know, there's different realms that he visits and says, okay, this one, there's a healing spot and there's this, and then you'll go here. And he seems to know his way around. And so it's a realm, it's a universe, and there's really magical places to visit and magical people to visit and learn from and grow from. And I don't know about, um, he hasn't really talked to me about reincarnation. So it could be that he's reincarnated and doing these other things at the same time, because, you know, time is a pretzel, time isn't linear, and so many things can go on at the same time. So it's possible. I, I haven't really talked to him. I, it just never came up, reincarnation. But I am getting curious about that. Well, you just read my mind, honey, because I was going to say, so did he tell, did he say, you know, in other lives, you were my son and I was the mother or you were my wife or no. he didn't sort of talk about your relationship in, in other lifetimes or no. in future lifetimes? No, Not no, yet. No, I haven't heard explored that. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, so there's an, even in Buddhism, there's Amitabha Buddha and Amitabha Buddha is in charge of sport there's the Sukhavati is sort of this realm in between Nirvana and the earth plane. So Sukhavati is a place where spirits can go that are just tired of being reincarnated, right? They're not quite at Nirvana level yet. They're not an ascended master, but you know, they just want to have this place. It's almost like, it's almost like heaven, right? So um, maybe that's it. Maybe that's where he is. I, I thought about that. I was reading about that Sukhavati and Amitabha Buddha. And I thought, I have to ask him about that. Where is he exactly? Where does he kind of live? Does he live? Does he just float around? Does he go from one experience to the other or many experiences all at once? So I think that's the next conversation. I love that you use the word pretzel. <laughs> Time is a pretzel. That's just the perfect analogy. It's like, yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, like from that understanding, we understand that there are aspects of the soul that are living simultaneously our past life and future lives. So what you're connected to is just an aspect of the soul that has been that you understood as the character of your son. Um, so he's so much bigger than the role that he played as your son. And, right. Uh, I don't know, the Sukhavati thing, there's a lot of dogma within many religions that limit the experience of uh, understanding of the expansiveness of the awareness of what's possible, uh, not to negate it because it, it's a first step in understanding the afterlife. But when you speak to people that have actually gone there, like near-death experiences, it's so much vaster than that. It's so much vaster. And the multidimensional aspects of who we are, that we are, spirit and we are physical we are extraterrestrial and we are human we are you know we're living in the 1800s we're living in the 20th century we're living in the 300s you know we're on other planets we're here we're just all over the place all at yeah. once it's just mind-boggling well, you know it's our limited perceptions that it's, we're trying to make sense of what we right. see Right. right. So minds that study together and train together. And so the Buddhists have, you know, Buddhists see things similar, Christians see some similar, you know, the different ones see some because they all studied together and years and years and centuries and centuries. And so they have this dogma that that works. But it, at the bottom line for me is that it's our human way of trying to understand this vast universe that you're talking about and, and the way it kind of um, has, you know, different energies or any uh, depth or densities or things like that. And so we try desperately to make it look like, you know, 
a, a place here on earth, like, okay, here's this beautiful garden. It's a garden, you know, but it has that energy of that this different than this spot over here. And I think we, we, our minds have trouble explaining the vastness, interpreting it. I think I'm probably repeating myself and asking the same question because I had a, I had a beautiful man called John Davis on the show recently who had this extensive NDE. And he said that he had, he came back, he said he came back with no gifts. People call them gift psychic ability, but he came back with full memory of his tour of heaven. He calls it a tour of heaven. You know, he was shown all these different experiences that you can get up to when you're dead. You can do this and you can do that. And you can, you know, like this has um, Ben given you any, information about you know where he is and what he does and what it looks like and you know at first I think he it was sort of when I went to um Costa Rica and did a zip line he was zip lining with me so here I am you know zip lining and flying upside down and doing all kind of and I'm like then you know uh, my body is 62 years old so you know try not to kill me in the middle in the middle of this so i think he he was experiencing traveling traveling the realm the world you know i think at first it was like wow i can go anywhere i want to go I'll go here i'll go there i'll go this i'll do that right so i think it was sort of that and then i've noticed more now he's into then he got sort of into the you know helping spirits cross to the other side and then this was this new thing that came up of studying with uh, ascended master that one had the jesus pod but there was other pods too and he's going to be studying so don't bug me all the time okay <laughs> great <laughs> fantastic so in other words you're in spirit college gotcha spirit college okay interesting yeah i've heard that many times i had a friend who died uh, at 40 she was of complications from the drug thalidomide do you remember the drug thalidomide? oh i do yeah and uh, she was one of the you know survivors victims i suppose anyway she died but she could never travel the world because she was so sick and she couldn't get insurance and she was for sure going to get sick and without insurance no one would insure her she just didn't dare travel so that's what she did when she died she traveled the world with her um with her boyfriend who was traveling with her in spirit at night and then he actually he what he was just he just he had a heart condition they met in hospital they were both in for he wanted a heart transplant she needed a, a lung and heart transplant because they were both so sick but um, he died soon after her but he told me that every night they're traveling the world and doing like fulfilling that desire that she couldn't fulfill when she was in the physical yeah I don't know what she's up to now I should I don't know what she's up to now but yeah it was interesting that you said Ben was traveling the world because you traveled the world yeah um, after he died didn't you do you want to share a bit of your experiences Wow, I just, I, you know, retired, I sold all my household goods and gave away stuff. And so I had nothing, I didn't have a house, I didn't have a car, I didn't have anything. And I had two suitcases and I traveled all over the world for two and a half years, really trying to understand grief and death. And what are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to move through it? How are we supposed to, what are we supposed to do with this? I mean, I was just, just, I was just completely at a loss. Why? why do people die and and where do they go and what am I supposed to do what about the people left behind what are we supposed to do and where'd they go to and all those questions you know I had all the questions I had no answers and so that's what my my journey was and the journey was going to be a blog and then the blog turned into a book and the book ended up being this you know kind of a spiritual pathway for people to look at their lives and and really try to get unstuck from grief because there's one 
um, one practice is called indigenous alchemy. So what the heck does that mean? So it means inherent or innate, innate desire for change. So what if as humans, we're wired, we're not wired to be stuck. We're wired for growth. We're wired for change. We're wired for transformation. And so many of my clients that come to me that have all kinds of autoimmune diseases, cancer, things like that, if I go back in their time, I most always find unresolved grief or loss of some kind, something big, because that energy stays stuck, stuck in it and can make us really ill. So this is a way for people to get in touch with it and say, okay, you know, I'm on a journey. It's my own journey. I'm going to take my time, but here's some tools that can guide you along the way. Here's some tools that can help you look at where you are and find a way to move on a little bit, move through it a little bit, see things a little bit differently, change your perspective a bit. Will your journey through grief you know, transformed you into a healer and someone that's healing here on this plane and on others. How has it transformed some of your clients? Have you seen them have this same turnaround through their their loss and grieving journey and turn into healers and remember that they're star seeds and remember that, you know, like as I said, that awakening that death can bring you can just like remind you of who you really are and why you're here like knock you out of the third dimensional paradigm of like who you think you are have you seen that a lot with your clients you know the the biggest thing i see right away is they realize that they are free from this concept that the more i suffer the more i'm showing how much i loved my loved one right if you can break people free from that and saying they don't want you to suffer and your suffering is causing them to stay stuck. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, I had a father who lost his daughter and had suffered and really for six to eight years, I can't remember exactly, but he read that. So I have eight things spirits on the other side wish you, wish, wish you knew. And one of them is that as you stay stuck in your grief and suffering, they stay stuck too. And that they already know that you love them. There I know. And so they know everything, right? So um, just to be freed from that paradigm that, you know, grieving is one of those things that's no win. If you grieve too long and too hard, then you need a pill. And if you don't grieve long enough, oh, well, she certainly didn't bother her much or she didn't seem to care. So you, so you might as well go on your own journey because you're not going to satisfy anybody anyway. And to be freed of that uh, concept that you have to prove to anybody Anybody around you that you're grieving enough or that your, your loved one, you know, is somehow needs to see you in despair and hopelessness and deep grief to believe you love them. That's just, that's just an old paradigm that's been stuck on us. And we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but, you know, grief doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be all the sadness and mourning and terrible stuff. You know, what if we turned it on the head on its head a little bit? So I have one thing that I call it's um, it, it's called a despacho. So it's, it's this prayer ceremony and I call it um, cookies, cooking and praying. So what if you made this little prayer bundle that has all kinds of beautiful things in it, anything you want to put in there out of things that you love and loved. And you made this and created this beautiful bundle out of tissue papers and ribbons and candies and all these things that they love. 
and talked about it and talked about the person and had it at the table and then burned it in a beautiful Yule fire or something or in the new year or whatever, instead of, you know, this, oh, we're going to talk now, we're going to be sad now. Now we're going to be sad. We're going to talk for a moment about dear Uncle Ben, who's missing and everybody's sad and grieving. And then nobody wants to talk about it anymore. What if we instead said, hey, you know what? Uncle Ben's right here. Let's talk about him. Let's bring him in. Let's bring him to the table. Right. Let's 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 make this instead of mourning and dreadful and sad and something you want to avoid at all costs. What have you made it fun? I totally agree, Karen. We've got to turn the whole death thing on its head, you know, to celebrate somebody's life. People talk about it. They give it lip lip service. Oh, we're going to celebrate their life. Then everybody cries. But uh, turn it into a celebration. At least that dialogue has come in, celebration of life instead of a a mourning. A a mourning of their death. Right. Years ago, I went for one year, I went to a Catholic school, a Catholic convent, actually. So I've still got friends from that time. And I don't often go to, um, you know, funerals because of the sad thing, unless they're really close. But a friend's mother had died and um, I was about an hour out of the city and I remember vacuuming in the morning thinking, I'll celebrate her from, you know, where I am. I won't go and cry at the funeral. But I had this real nudge to go, like, you're gone. And I'm like, okay, put the vacuum cleaner down, get in the car and go to the funeral. And it absolutely was one of the best celebrations, even though it was a Catholic service, the people that spoke, so spoke so beautifully and so lovingly and, and jokes, it was such a, and then afterwards, the after party was an absolute celebration. They got a band and people were dancing and, and it was such a happy experience. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How do we capture a little bit of that? Right. Right. Capture a little bit of that because, you know, the grief thing goes on and on and on. So you have the death day and you have the birthday and then you have the first holiday and then you've got, you know, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and Valentine's Day. And I mean, it just is New Year's, uh, you know, Fourth of July, whatever it is for your culture, you know, everybody has something different, but you, you get the point. So we can get lost in our grief because we're constant if we're constantly dreading right? And it's constantly something we want to avoid and not, and we're trying not to, you, you can't, you can't try not to, it doesn't work. You know, if instead we could embrace it and say, okay, well, how can I make this fun? You know, the, one of the things I tell my clients too, is when you're caregiving someone or someone has died, or you've got a child in addiction, you know, and, and years and years of things, you, you forget to practice beauty, you forget what are those things that used to make you smile? What are the things that used to bring you joy? And if you can write, I always have them write on the refrigerator and put practice beauty. Do one thing every day that makes you happy. If it's a flower, if it's a plant, if it's seeing a sunrise or a sunset or going to an art show or whatever it is, just one thing that makes you happy. Sitting on the porch, putting your foot up, reading a book, whatever it is, So instead of digging neural networks deeper and deeper in grief and sorrow and despair and hopelessness, now you're creating beauty and you're bringing beauty back into your life and you're creating new neural networks. And that's what we need to do, you know, because we get really stuck and keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and pretty soon that hole is so deep we can't hardly climb out of it. So practice beauty. Yeah, practice beauty. I love that. Practice beauty. I have a friend whose part, her, part, partner, husband died a few years ago and her um, her girls, her teenage girls have been really suffering. 
and uh, we would she was part of a course I was doing you know connecting to spirit guides and stuff and um, a, a message a beautiful simple simple message came through for her which kind of shocked me uh, I wasn't really asking for a message but it came anyway because I was asking them to get the messages I just saw this dog's face like right in my face like this it was almost like this spirit dog was going to lick my face and I'm like, what? And then the message came through and it said, let love return to the household. Get a pet. <laughs> like, because it, there'd been so much focus on the loss and the grief. And as teenagers yeah. in such a delicate time and you're exploring who you are and, you know, like kids change when they're teenagers, right? And they get really rebellious and so coupled with loss and grief. And then they're, you know, the... And just this simple message, let love return to the household, get a pet. Anyway, so she's like, I don't want to get a dog. So they got a cat. <laughs> you know, that's that's exactly it. You know, it changes everything. You know, you have to, if you keep going in that direction and lost and lost and sad and sad and grief and grief and it's horrible, it, it's life just because it's downward spiral. So you want to try to begin to spiral upward. What if they're right there? What if they're right there with you every minute? And would they want to see you like that, crying and sad and hopeless and in despair? No, they don't. And so it's a, it's a different way of looking. What if they were right there? And what if by you moving on with your life and, and creating um, beauty out of the ashes of the old one, you were actually honoring their life? Wow, what a concept. What if they were cheering you on from the other side? Yeah, go, go, go. Get the apartment, get the award, have fun, go to that show. You know, think about that. And, and that's the way I see it. I see them on the other side being cheerleaders, cheerleaders for life, living life for the fullest. <clears throat> yeah, because we're still down here grappling with and dealing with, you know, the gamut of negative emotions that are available and they're up there having a good old time. So we are flying around and saying, oh, they have, to, they have to be, they have to be our cheerleaders because, you know, they're, they're finished with their negative emotions and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and, Ben said to me, mom, you're kind of being a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's true. I think they think, oh, come on, get, don't you get it? You're there. I'm here, but I'm happy. And I want you to be happy. Don't you get the whole thing? You're not getting the picture. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. I've spoken to many people on the show about this subject. Um, you know, Stephen Simon was someone I spoke to recently that whose wife died and he wanted to spend an hour talking about how much he loved his wife and that, and just what you said before, Karen, it's like, the harder I grieve means I loved you more. It, you know, they equate if I'm desperately unhappy and want to kill myself and can't go out and can't get out of bed and can't speak to anybody, then that me that just shows how much I loved you. There's this, yeah. there's this, you know, it's very distorted, it's been, isn't enculturated. it? We've been enculturated. There's all these stories about people dying with their loved one or dying right after and not being able to go on and right. never going to the house. And, and somehow that's become exalted. Like that's a, uh, Oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. Well, that's a martyr, a martyr, right? We make ourselves into a martyr. Right. <laughs> and that's not, that's, that's not the way it should be. It's not the way it needs to be or can yeah, be. Or it's yeah, exactly. It's not the way it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's not the way it has to be. But she said from the other side, just like Ben, you know, like you're not the same words, kind of, kind of be a bummer. But yeah. um, every time he says, I lost my wife, she's like, you didn't lose me. I'm right here. Hello. 
<laughs> Can you stop using the lost word? And he's so funny. He's, he goes to say it like the human condition, you know, like we want to say, we want to use all those words that we're using. I lost this person. I lost. And then he corrects himself. I said, oh, no, I didn't lose her. She transitioned. <laughs> no, he stopped. Right, himself. right. You lost me. You got my dog or what, you know? <laughs> an umbrella am I a mitten no yeah yeah I know it's, it's not easy being green it's not easy being human with a, no no and I think it's just you now breaking three free of those cultural paradigms that have shackled right. us mm-hmm. and having the audacity to see it differently right having the right. audacity to see it differently and that's the way I feel like I'm sort of like that person I had the audacity to change everything Mm. Right to look at my life and say, I'm not living the life I wanted. I'm living the life my parents wanted for me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I, I didn't want this. I wanted to be an archaeologist and anthropologist. And here I ended up in, as a lawyer and, and with piles of stuff and bored out of my mind, sick of driving in the second worst traffic in the United States for 30 years. Is that your story? Did you really want to be an anthropologist? Yes. Oh, that's who you're talking about yourself. Oh, that's cool. I'm talking about me. Yeah. yeah. You know, and here I am, you know, driving in this. And finally, you know, Ben passes and, and it's like I had this paradigm shift. And I said, oh my God, what am I doing? I hate this. <laughs> I absolutely hate this. And I don't even remember my 40s, you know, between my parents and their illnesses and the young kids, you know, you get into the sandwich generation. <clears throat> I really don't remember. I don't remember. But I do remember that I thought it was really amazing that I was extra super special because I didn't take vacations. Oh, right. You just worked, worked, worked. So are your parents still alive? No. Were they alive when Ben passed? No. Oh, okay. So they didn't see your transformational journey. Oh, no, no. And I'm an only child of an only child. And so, and I only had the two children. So I didn't have a really big family with a lot of family pressure. Right say wow you know you 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 better conform or you're off the plot or we think you're crazy or anything like that I could be as crazy as I wanted and I pretty much <laughs> pretty much did that <laughs> yeah. but but with all with so much time spent at work like being a workaholic like we're not taking you must have had a strong you know family connection or or social connection within your peer group within the law yeah. um so are you still friendly with those people? Are they- I have a certain few that I'm friendly with that have been good pals and read the book and read the book drafts and all that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, a lot of people fell away too. And there's yeah. a lot of people, you know, we just didn't have the same mindset, you know. Yeah. I didn't really care for them as so much for people. You know, it's just, that's okay. You know? Yeah, yeah. I know. I remember speaking to Garnet Schulhauser, who was a corporate lawyer for 36 years, and then his spirit guy turns up as a homeless man and flies him around the cosmos. And he's written four books, five books now about his experiences and spirit. And, you know, I, the first conversation I had with him about eight years ago, I was doing the same thing. It's like, what did all your corporate lawyer friends say? Did they think you were completely crazy? And he said something really cool. He said, you know, I sent the book to many of them and the ones that really thought I was crazy never replied. So they never came back with a letter like, oh man, you've lost it. And the ones that were more open said, wow, you know, well, good on you. But he never had any bad, like he never had anyone say, oh, you're crazy because it was such a huge paradigm shift going from the law to like flying around the cosmos with your spirit guide talking to dead people. Yeah. So um, (laughs) it is it's slightly different paradigm. Slightly. And I feel like, you know, it's like it, you get that lightness of spirit. 
like I feel like my spirit was very heavy and confined and sort of, you know, before. And then after this happened, even though I suffered greatly and I missed him terribly and I, it took me a long time, I do feel like my spirit is much freer, mm-hmm. much happier. I see the world in a different way. And, mm-hmm. yeah. Have you brought anything that you've learned from that third dimensional world into the shamanistic practice? Is, was there any dovetailing, any synergy between the two worlds or was it did you just totally leave all that behind and start a whole new journey you mean with the the law or with law yeah yeah well yeah you know it's funny because we do these exercises and one of the exercises what are the things you identify with and what are the things you differentiate you're pushing away so at one point I was pushing away being a lawyer I don't want to be that anymore I don't want to be that there's nothing there for me and then it's the other thing what are you integrating Right. And at some point I realized, oh, my gosh, this spiritual stuff, I can use these skills from being a lawyer to write a book about it. Right. So it's it's like you you kind of can begin, I think, in the beginning of your journey, you say, I'm going to push that away. I'm not that anymore. I'm only going to be this. But, you know, life has a funny way of pretzeling back around and those things that you learned long ago have a way of showing up later in that way of being perfect for for using in this context so I use a lot of my legal skills in my spiritual contact as a as a teacher and a writer and things that I might not have been you know so yeah yeah and also when you were talking before so beautifully about judgment, you know, how we get so caught up in judgment. A lot of this conversation today has been about judgment, judgment of others and judgment of self and grief. And and then you were a judge. So there's kind of a synergy right, right. there, right? There's something, I mean, sometimes I think the universe is very quirky and just likes uh-huh. to make kind of syllogisms and analogies and metaphors and I think that was an incredible metaphor that here you know I'm a judge and and now I don't want to be judgmental is that's kind of funny right right and now, I want, and now I want to release my judgments and be more right. open and and allowing and live and let live and if you believe that that's okay I'm not going to judge you it's like you're allowed right, to right. and people are like I don't know you were a judge I'm not I'm feeling like you might be judgmental <laughs> judge me <laughs> judge me I, I really I'm thinking that's you're wired that way and I, I'm I'm not feeling this so you know but it's it's kind of amusing in well, some that, that's why I love your story because yeah that content I mean a corporate lawyer is one thing but a judge it's like a whole nother level you know right Right. of immersement into a third dimensional paradigm it's almost like even stickier to untangle yourself from I just feel yeah yeah I I mean I there was only I I just had to do it like it was just one day I decided I was gonna put my check and see if I could retire Mm -hmm. and there's no secrets everybody think it's a secret but as soon as you put those papers in and say have them calculate everybody knows and and from there on it was like a gale force wind was at my back the universe was just push 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 my house sold in three days, full price, um, as is. I, you know, everything opened up. I, Al- Alberto Viota said he wanted to teach with me. All of a sudden, this teaching opportunity. So everything just happened. Like, yeah, right. When you're when you're on the path, you're on the path. It's like being on a fast flowing river, and yeah, just being swept downstream. It's like, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, I mm. wanted to get back to Alberto. What the Viola? Viola. Let's talk about him. I don't know about him. He he's Chilean, and what does he teaches? Shamanism does he four winds society? He does. So he was a medical anthropologist for many years, and so he's one of those guys that went to the jungle to look for new medicines, right? And then he looked at you know people in the jungle and said they don't have cancer, they don't have diabetes, they don't have any of these Western diseases what the heck? Maybe I'm looking at the wrong end of the microscope. Maybe I need to look at their societies and see how they're living and what they're doing because, you know, they don't have any of these diseases that I'm looking for a cure for and they don't have the disease. This is a little strange, you know? So he actually, you know, trained with shamans for, oh my gosh, 30 years, something like that. And then he began writing books and, you know, really be, he's written, I don't know, 20 books, big name in shamanism. So you find his books everywhere. Shaman Healer Sage is one people know very well. And um, there's other wonderful shaman scholars like Sandra Ingerman and, and others. But um, so, but he, he, um, he, he, he was just, it was interesting how he started out too. He started out in research in a lab and ended up drinking the Kool-Aid you know, we say we all drink the Kool-Aid and ended up in Peru, you know, studying with, with shamans in Peru, deep in the jungle and uh, experiencing life in a totally different way. And so he, he had that big change, life change too, that big metamorphosis that came about. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that. I love stories of transformation. They just so turn me on. I don't know. I get a kick out of it, like hearing someone because uh, I guess I've had a lot of judgment come at me over the years. I didn't have a big transformation. I was always enmeshed in this world, but I've had a lot of judgment from people that are fully entrenched in that yeah. third dimensional paradigm. And um, I remember someone said to me, oh, you spiritual people are always trying to convert us as if we're wrong. You just think we're wrong. What about you? Aren't you wrong? I remember somebody threw this at me and I thought, yeah, right. You just get to be right with whatever you believe. And um he said, I think he said, you religious people, you religious people are always trying to convert people, you know, and it's true. Like religions are always knocking on doors, trying to convert yeah. you to yeah. their way. Uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, judgment, judgment and transformation. But I guess it happens when it happens, right, Karen? It doesn't have to necessarily be a big tragedy like a, a death of a son. No, some people are listen to the whisperings of spirit and other of us have to be knocked upside the head. <laughs> you know, so I, I would wish I were one of those that, you know, went gently and listened, but I, apparently I, I had, I had to have the big knock, knock on the head to get it. Yeah. So it's been beautiful to chat with you today. Is there anything that you would like to leave people that are grieving or that you know are going through their own transformation that are changing from what they believe who they are to an, a new experience what would you like to leave with people today I think the the thing I love to leave with is write on a piece of paper practice beauty stick it on your fridge and every day do something that brings you joy brings beauty into your life because that's really how you're going to change everything so that's what I would, I love to leave people with that. Practice beauty and choose joy. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much. <laughs> you are so welcome. Thank you for having me. What did you think of Karen's story? Amazing transformation, isn't it? I love those stories of transformation. Yeah, we were just talking, which I said on the show too, about 
you know, I've had so many, so many women come on my show that have had this experience of losing a son in their twenties. You know, Lisa, who I mentioned on the show was one of them who lost Eric. And then like Karen, they're working together from the other side, the son being in spirit and the mother being here and transforming the world in, in, in different ways, but still, you know, spreading the awareness of the afterlife. And yeah, it's so interesting that that it's been the son who has transitioned and not and not the daughter and I was saying to Karen now that I say that's probably someone will reach out to me that had a daughter transition and they're working together but yeah that these women that have that that contact me that are um had a spiritually transformative experience through the death of a, a son predominantly in their in their 20s it's very interesting what do you think's going on do you think it's a spiritual contract do you think it's a terrible tragedy what do you think's going on and why is it the young men that are transitioning or and not the other way around like mum dies and then becomes the spirit guide and the son has a spiritual awakening becomes the shaman with mum teaching from spirit haven't heard that one yet possibly it's out there you never know it's just so much happening in the world isn't there but uh, what do you think what do you think why is it the the young men that are transitioning going back to spirit and then teaching from the other side and helping the mom transform their lives mind you I was just telling um, Karen about I think I said it on the show too about Stephen Simon and it was his it was his younger wife that transitioned and she's teaching him from the other side. And now he's teaching us by writing a book and talking about his communication. So it doesn't necessarily have to be mother and son. But um, yeah, do you speak to anyone that you knew physically on the other side that teaches you and helps you in your physical life? You know them as your spirit guide. I know lots of people that watch this show do because you work like I do as a healer and a psychic and a medium and a difference maker, a star seed, whatever you want to call it. So you're in contact with your multidimensional team. But yeah, I'd love to hear your story. It's it's amazing. But Karen, coming from that oh so corporate world of law and being a judge and having this um, complete transformation, I found that fascinating. Well, thanks for watching and listening. And did you tune in to the Inner Sanctum on the weekend? We were live with Claudia Watts Edge, uh, who'd had an NDE who is um, being taught by her spiritual team at night when she's asleep in what she calls spirit school and coming back with full memory and then writing it down in a book. Uh, I had said to her, have you, um, have you done this sort of thing, you know, talking about your experiences on Zoom in a sort of spirit school type thing? And she said, no. I said, well, let's do it. <laughs> so I threw her on and she did so well. I think she was a little nervous to start with because it's kind of easy to write about your experience, but um, having people ask you questions and and talking about what you've learned, uh, you know, in when people are in front of you is is not as easy. But who's coming up in the inner sanctum? Where are we? So she was our July guest. Who's coming up next month? Next month we've got Kimberly Meredith, somebody that came on the show this this year, and she said to me. I'd love to do some readings for your group. I'd love to do some healings and some readings for your group. Um, can I come back on the show and do some readings and some healing? So she's a she's a healer. Uh, check out the show I had with Kimberly. Uh, she reached out to me for ages before I put her on the show. <laughs> my judgment. Whenever I get into my judgmental mental mind, that's what Karen and I were talking about. We get into our critical judgmental mind. I'm always wrong. I'm always wrong. And so you've got to get over yourself. Get over your judgment. 
you know, no matter what you think about people and just go for it. I do that so often, you know, us humans, we're so critical and judgmental, aren't we? Anyway, so she's beautiful, Kimberly, and uh, she has an amazing story, but she wanted to do some mediumship and some healing, some readings, you know, and so she's going to come into the group and do that. So maybe you want a bit of a healing or a reading. It is, um, I say it's free, but I really do appreciate any donation that you throw our way, both for myself and the guest. I put all this information, this conscious awareness information out there for free and have been doing for about 25 years. But if you benefit from the shows, I do appreciate any donations that come my way. And thank you for those people who have. I've had a couple of donations come in this week. So thank you so much for those people who are donating to the shows and to the Inner Sanctum. It is well appreciated because it is very time consuming doing this. I spend a good part of my week organizing shows and organizing the Inner Sanctum and organizing guests uh, because my paid work is working as a reader and a healer. And a, I don't call myself a shaman, but you know, you can call yourself whatever you like, really. But when you sort of expand your awareness and start accessing your multidimensional a- aspects and you put yourself out there to make a difference in the world in whatever you're doing. You can call yourself whatever you like, a healer, a reader. I was telling somebody who's staying in my house, telling him about he's a he's a doctor that's staying with me, a, um, a holistic doctor from another country and a traditional, his traditional medicine. So we've been we've got a lot to talk about him and I. I was telling him about my journey. I was, because he's doing massage and I said when I was massaging I started having all this information coming to me about people I knew their thoughts and their deepest desires I knew what troubled them I knew why they were in pain emotionally and mentally what they were believing to be true I could see their past lives and I had to stop calling myself a masseuse because people were not expecting that when they came for a nice massage and I started yakking I couldn't stop telling them what I was seeing and I'm like okay what do I call myself now And in those days, I called myself a spiritual healer, but today I call myself teacher. So yes, what are you calling yourself and how you make a difference in the world? So anyway, back to Kimberly. So she's coming in next month and then uh, Penny Kelly is lined up to come in in August as well. We've got two teachers. I love Penny Kelly. If you've watched the shows I've done with Penny, I love her. She's a star seed, but she's incredible. Check out, you know, she's all over the internet. She has her own show now and um, she's quite you know she's been talking about things that have been censored on the internet as i have uh so she's got her show on bitchute and rumble and a few places where she can talk freely and not worry about being censored but she has an extensive life she's i think penny's in her 70s now you know one of the books that i love is called the robes where these she called them the robes, these little, these men in little brown robes turned up in her living room or, or her kitchen, I think it was, and gave her all this information about the cosmos. And then 20 years later, they came back and they said, you know, all that stuff we told you, we want you to put it in a book. And she said, no, but it, she did. And it's one of those, she's got many, many books, but it's one of the most amazing books about life, love and the universe and our future and the future of earth and probable futures and what we can expect and how we can evolve and I love Penny Kelly, ET Message to Humanity, Quantum Reality. And um, Marina Seren is booked in in September. I'm not sure if she still can make it. And a few other people until the end of the year. Lots of amazing people to chat to. So, yeah, thanks again for listening and watching and sharing the shows. And remember to check out the book Awakened by Death if you haven't already. As I said, Elisa's story is in there and Sandra Champlain's story is in there. Lots of people talking about the afterlife and their transformative experience. It's exactly Karen would have been a perfect candidate for that book, having a um, 
an expansive spiritual awakening through the death experience, either your own NDE or the death of a loved one, including myself. That was my story when my mother died. When I was a girl, it just I started asking a million questions and I got the answers and I'm still asking questions 50 years later. Yeah, thanks again. Love you all. Bye for now.